Welcome to this week's edition of the Redheaded Preacher Podcast. I'm Richard Lanford. I am the Redheaded Preacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, Illinois. This sermon in the podcast is called God's Preferential Option. And it's Labor Day weekend. It was preached on September 5th of 2021. The scriptures are are verses from Proverbs 22, James chapter 2, selected verses, and Mark 7, verses 24 through 37. So I'll be talking about preferences, and we don't think God wants us to have preferences, and yet within God's love for everybody, there seem to be some preferences. So we're going to open that up. And before we begin, I invite you to join me in a brief word of prayer. Holy Spirit, your word is around the planet, and so is your spirit. And we pray for your spirit to activate the word that we'll hear into our minds and spirits, that we will get a good listen, something good to think about, that it might even change the way we look at things and deepen our faith. This is our prayer, our humble request, but your will be done. In the name of Christ, our Lord, amen. And so, let's listen to those scripture readings. The first lesson comes from the book of Proverbs, chapter 22, with several verses spread apart. I'll start with the first two verses, then read verses 8 and 9, and finish with verses 22 and 27. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. The rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity, and the rod of anger will fail. Those who are generous are blessed, for they share their bread with the poor. Do not rob the poor because they are the poor, or crush the afflicted at the gate. For the Lord pleads their cause and despoils of life those who despoil them. Make no friends with those you would take, and do not associate with hotheads, or you may learn their ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Do not be one of those who give pledges, who become surety for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should your bed be taken from under you? This ends the reading from Proverbs. Proverbs 22. Our epistle lesson coming from the lectionary for this Sunday, like the other two readings, is from the book of James. I am reading from chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 and 14 through 17. Apparently, there have been charges of preferential treatment among his listeners and readers. My brothers and sisters, do you, with your acts of favoritism, really believe 
Jesus Christ, for if a person with gold rings and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing fine clothes and say, Have a seat here, please, while to the one who is poor you say, Stand here or sit at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. It is not the rich who oppress you. Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you in court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? You do well if you really fulfill the royal law. According to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law that fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lies daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. This ends the reading from James. This morning we are given Mark 7, verses 24 and 37. Here we encounter Jesus in a way different than we expect. From there, Jesus set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there. Yet he could not escape notice, but a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him, and she came and bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, In saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home and found the child lying on the bed, and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went by way of Sidon towards the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis. They brought him to the deaf man with an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. He took him aside in private, away from the crowd, and put his fingers into his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he 
beside and said to him, They found the various be opened. And immediately his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Then Jesus ordered them to tell no one, but the more he ordered them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They were stunned at the unrational saying, He has done everything well, and he that makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Here is the reading of the Gospel and the scriptures for this morning's service. May God grant us a wise and joyful understanding of this, the word of God of life for the life of the people of God. When I started at St. Peter's, I there's one thing I wanted to convey, and that is that I'm, a, I'm the pastor of everyone in the congregation. Not, there's no playing favorites. I did not want to be or be considered part of a clique or be seen as close to one group of members and relatively inattentive to others. No one is perfect, and I have not been perfect in that area either because it seems to be part of the human condition. I've been on the outside of an in-group in the past, and it can breed resentment as well as you know, grief uh, and frustration. And what about the Lord? Our faith is encouraged by the belief that God so loved the world, and God created all of us in God's own image. Sometimes I say something like, we're all equal beneath the cross as in equally needing God's grace in Christ, and in it being equally, that being equally offered to everyone, whether it's accepted or not. We have biblical and theological reasons for believing God loves all of us all the same. On Labor Day Sunday, we also have passages from the lectionary. I didn't select these, except I selected to go with them. We have passages that point us to look a little deeper into the heart and mind of God. The scriptures Karen read for us show us God has a preferential option in some situations or people. On such a holiday weekend, you and I might not have to travel far to apply some of what we heard to life today and to our understanding of God. God suggests in Proverbs some preferences you and I should learn, such as a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And favor is better than silver or gold. Before reminding us that the ultimate equalizer between those with riches and those without, the rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. There is no judgment upon the rich here, just the comparison of what's worth more. Going beyond suggestions or reminders for us, God shares some of God's own preferences within the divine love for all. Whoever sows injustice, sowing the seeds for injustice to grow, will reap calamity, and the rod of anger will fail. Those who are generous are blessed, for they share their bread with the poor. So God prefers the generous over those who sow injustice and try to rule by a rod of anger or intimidation. The eternal one gets even more specific in the final verses from Proverbs we heard. 
do not rob the poor, because they are poor, or crush the afflicted at the gate. For the Lord pleads their cause and despoils of life those who despoil them. God does not like those who take advantage of the poor or make their situations even worse by metaphorically crushing them. God is on the side of the poor. That is a phrase that I believe emerged from the social gospel work of the Roman Catholic Church a long time ago. The phrase is God's preferential option for the poor. God still loves everyone, and yet God wants special protection for the most vulnerable. Such desired protection, or the need for it, given that there are those who would rob them, is what God promises. As followers of Jesus, I think that's what God wants of us, too. There is such robbing or taking financial, labor-related advantage going on. I'll come back to that in a few moments. But let's join James in the worshiping congregation setting where prejudice or selfish preference can show its ugly head, ugly and unfaithful head. James doesn't pull any punches. My brothers and sisters, do you with your acts of favoritism really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? For if a person with gold rings and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person with dirty clothes also comes in, and you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and say, have a seat here, please. While to the one who is poor you say, stand there or sit at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved. Has not God chosen the poor of the world to be rich in faith and heirs to the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who oppress you, who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? Got it. No favoritism to be shown by God's people. No partiality in our hearts or in our actions towards people. Treat folks equally as God would, an extension of loving your neighbor as yourself. We are all made by God as Proverbs and Genesis remind us. In fact, James points out that the poor are God's preferred option because of the presumed love for God they have and dependence on God to help them survive. You don't have to be poor for that necessarily. The rich, some of the rich, oppressed some of his listeners and were thoroughly, then we can presume, thoroughly materialistic, blaspheming God, either by disregarding God's existence or morality, uh, or by wrapping themselves in, the, in a flag of faith while still taking advantage of the vulnerable underclass for their profits. At the least, we who welcome on Sunday mornings, how we should watch, I missed a word, watch how we welcome on Sunday mornings, how and when. Our faith is to be accompanied by good works of equal hospitality and welcome for all. Hence our open and affirming status. Now, there is some such robbing going on, as I've mentioned. 
I remember preaching in years past about the maquilladoras in Mexico, where the people working on garments to export often toil in sweatshop-like conditions for low pay. I remember later lifting up the story of several pizza places, franchises in uh, a popular chain that was being sued by then New York Attorney General Schneiderman of New York for wage theft. It was documented. And the other day I read a lengthy expose of the United States Postal Service in the Associated Press provided by the Center for Public Integrity, a nonprofit news organization based in our nation's capital. The title of the AP report is, USPS has shorted some workers' pay for years. I could easily spend the rest of my sermon time on that report. I won't. But here's part of it, and it starts with a short story. Nancy Compost's back ached as she loaded more than 100 Amazon packages onto her truck. The 59-year-old grandmother, a mail carrier for the United States Postal Service, had worked 13 days in a row without a lunch break, and now she was delivering on the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday to keep up with a never-ending flow of boxes. At the end of her shift that January day, Campos filled out her timesheet, and then she took a picture of it for proof. I knew what was going to happen said Campos, who delivers mail in Midland, Texas, because it happens every pay period. Two weeks later, when she checked her pay stub in the payroll system, she said she was missing six hours of overtime pay. That added up to about $201 in lost wages, a week's worth of groceries. Postal workers across the country share her frustration. The Postal Service regularly cheats mail carriers out of their pay, according to the Center for Public Integrity investigation. Managers at hundreds of post offices around the country have illegally underpaid hourly workers for years. Arbitrators and federal investigators have found. No one's making this up. Since 2005, meanwhile, the Postal Service has been cited by the federal government 1,150 times for underpaying letter carriers and other employees, including one case for 164 violations, according to Labor Department data obtained through a Freedom of Information Act request. The agency determined that those workers, the 164 cases, lost about $659,000 in pay. But it allowed the Postal Service to pay back less than half after negotiations with the agency, a common practice at the Labor Department. Mail carriers say their supervisors face intense pressure to keep overtime costs down. At the same time, pandemic-fueled spikes on online ordering are overwhelming mail carriers with packages, and they cannot count on getting paid for all their work. That means carriers, carriers log a lot of extra hours. And it's not uncommon for managers to go into the system and delete some of them. Sometimes their changes show carriers ending their shifts earlier than they did or taking an unpaid lunch break, according uh, according to Public Integrity's review of private arbitration decisions 
that are maintained by the National Association of Letter Carriers, a labor union with nearly 290,000 members, about 45% of the agency's total workforce. In most of these cases, managers did not submit the required paperwork to explain the changes or notify the affected employee. Other times, supervisors just told carriers to clock out after eight hours and keep working without pay. End of quote from the Associated Press. So that's taking advantage of your workers or these workers on a large scale. It is unjust, despite the intense pressures that are put on managers and the institution itself. As a church, you and I should know, given God's preferred option for the underdog while loving the world, where justice is lacking in the workforce. Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity. God tells us in James not to treat the rich really nicely while dismissing the poor or poorly clothed. Love equally with both eyes open. It's a good reminder for us as St. Peter's to pay attention to our own hospitality, which starts with more of us actually being present on Sunday mornings when possible, as Katy Perry sang, represent. So, what are we supposed to make of then, after all of this? What are we supposed to make of the curious case of Jesus himself and the Syrophoenician woman? When someone comes to Jesus with desperate need, my little girl is possessed. And he responds, at first, with what could be kindly called a lack of grace. Is not Jesus showing partiality, to put it mildly? Yup, at first. Commentators vary in their take on this difficult story. I prefer the let's not fool ourselves approach taken by D.E. Nineham of England. He lays out that Jesus has said elsewhere he came only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. His power to heal is not general, but specific for Israel. His power is an extension of him being the Messiah for Israel. Gentiles receiving favor from God or from the Messiah was seen as acceptable when the setting was the end times. Along comes this woman, one, and a Gentile, two. So culturally, for an observant Jew, that's two strikes against her. This Jew-Gentile distinction is important. She sneaks into the house and spoils his evident desire to get some alone time because he didn't want to be seen. That did not stop her. That might have surprised him and put him in a not great mood, but no excuses. As for his nasty reply to her sincere request, it's a little embarrassing. Jesus does insult her as he emphasizes the difference between her daughter's illness and her people and his missionary focus, the children and the family at the table. The best answer, though, to what he said how to explain this. And, you know, I'm, I'm understanding D.E. Nynum's approach, and this is really a Jew-Gentile thing, kind of wrought big. My friend Bruce Gillette said long ago, everybody has a bad day. In her answer back, 
about the dogs getting crumbs from the table, the brave woman accepts the division between her people and the Jews and the Messiah, but does not leave. This is her kid, after all. She reveals her conviction that it is from Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, that salvation is obtained. In light of this acknowledgement, Jesus says she can go and she'll find her daughter healed. And she did. That woman, with the preferential option against her displayed, refused to accept the full force of this offense, this slander, and turns on his words for her benefit. Where the woman's retort could be viewed as snippy, Jesus evidently respects her persistence and her reply. He changes his mind. The reversal that Jesus demonstrates in his willingness to perform the miracle now, if he hadn't already done it and just didn't tell her. That is unparalleled throughout the Gospels. Him changing his mind and then became willing. And secondly, it's not only unparalleled that he changed his mind and did this, that an unclean, to an observant Jew, an unclean Gentile woman should be the cause of such a reversal is even more astounding. There had been the high-tension contrast between the two of them, and through her quick wit, with desperation for her daughter, and Jesus' own listening mind, which opened his heart, resolved that tension. God's preference for those in need, and for those in need of God, regardless of caste or economic status, won out. That is our God. Amen. Hey, everybody. Bless you for listening. It's really appreciated. And I hope that you found something inspirational and or meaningful out of what you listened to. Next week will be for Sunday, September 12th. The message is going to be about setting our minds, M-I-N-D-S, setting our minds. It's going to be mostly based out of uh, the gospel reading, which will be from Mark 8. I look forward to sharing that with you next week. Once again, thank you for tuning in, and may God bless your week. Amen.